hello, hello, and welcome to Freightonomics, the podcast with Anthony Smith, lead economist, and Zach Strickland, director of freight market intelligence at Freightways. Discuss the freight market and combine it with the overall macroeconomic uh, environment. And we try to bring that together in a useful way, an actionable way, so everybody can come together and do something productive with their day, especially for those of you involved in the transportation sector, uh, whether you're a transportation manager at a shipper, supplier, or a carrier slash broker, sitting out there uh, booking loads, carrying freight across the country. So, Anthony, we have had a pretty interesting week yeah. in the freight market, I would say. It's not necessarily a dramatic week, not a groundbreaking week. Not every week can be big news, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it has been a somewhat interesting week thus far, and we're going to break that down. But also, we're going to talk to Mary O'Connell, one of our newest addition. additions here at Freight Waves. A little later, she's a former broker slash managed transportation, uh, most recently in the LCL space as well. So she's going to give us some recent insights into what she's seen, what she thinks about, you know, our data and stuff like that moving forward. And of course, we got peak season that we got to talk about. Exactly. The exactly. seasonality of freight is a real thing. Uh, the ebbs and flows are happening, even though the market's been kind of, you know, unseasonable uh, here over the last year or so. So we're going to break that down. But Anthony, we, we got to thank our sponsor. We have someone to thank. So <laughs> kicking it off. Thank you to our sponsors, Envision Global. That's N, lowercase N, uppercase V, because they're trendy. Envision Global is a leading global freight audit system, supply chain management services company, offering enterprise-wide supply chain solutions with over 4,000 global business partners. Envision Global not only provides prompt, accurate freight audit solutions, but also providing industry-leading supply chain information management solutions and services necessary to help its clients maximize efficiencies within their supply chain. To learn more, visit envisionglobal.com. Lowercase n. Lowercase n. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> right on. So, uh, you know, the title of today's show, uh, Climbing the Peak or Walking the Plateau, I thought that was pretty cheeky. I like it. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, is that peak seasons have not been that as, as noticeable. Uh, you know, yes, there's, you know, definite spikes in our in spot rates and stuff like that. But we're really not. The market hasn't changed. Yeah. Spot rates are going higher. Contract rates are going higher, but we're not like things aren't necessarily fundamentally changing to the supply side. You know, we're not adding a lot of capacity like we've seen in the past. Log so. jams, bottlenecks everywhere. Zach, one of the big things, I mean, because transportation is kind of in the supply chains mm -hmm. now like on the forefront of everyone's mind mm -hmm. when you weren't even worried about it. I'm talking about like everyday consumers. They are yeah. seeing that they have delays. They're hearing news stories. Outlets that you don't usually cover this are covering it. So one of the big things I got to ask about is, is this essentially what's been going on within the transportation and supply chain the entire time, but now it's just amplified? and in front of everyone's face because it's really hitting all levels at the same time. I mean, you, I, think the, I think the answer here is like, everybody feels it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually had one of my friends ask me the other day who has nothing to do with logistics or supply chain stuff, what is going on with the supply chain? And I was like, yeah. I didn't even know you knew that term. Yeah. <laughs> they work in insurance. And I was like, what? And... They, so they had heard about it. It's it's in the news. It's in the media. It's everywhere. And we all feel it when we're making our Amazon orders or, you know, we're going to a store and we don't see the same uh, goods available. I go to the grocery store and chicken 
is not available because, well, their supply chain's broken down. Mm -hmm. And they have, uh, you know, all these various, everything is connected. Like, we're, we kind of, supply chain to me is one of those things that we've taken for granted <laughs> over the past several decades. In my lifetime, yeah. supply chain has been very much taken for granted. Like, it just works. You know, it always is just thing. there. It just works. You yeah. just anticipate it to just work until it doesn't. <laughs> and, it, and then you're just frustrated and you want to know what's going on. And it doesn't work right now. It doesn't work. It's broken. It's fragmented all over the place. And that's because nobody's been paying attention to it because they took it for granted. Just like you need to call your mom and not and not take her for granted. Exactly. And drink more water. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's not take our supply chains for granted. And, of course, things should get better, uh, you know, moving forward just because it's hard to imagine them getting worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a lot of money and a lot of eyes on it now, like you just mentioned. Uh, I think there's a lot more uh, innovation still yet to come that's going to make things a lot better. So talking about that, because I know this is going to also lead into one of our stories. Also, I'm looking down at my laptop here often because I am also watching on LinkedIn. So if you want to join in on the conversation, be, be sure to chime in, leave a comment. We'll give you a shout out. We'll talk to you as well. So with freight being on, or transportation being on everyone's mind. A lot of money in it, a lot of interest in it. There's a lot of activity going on. We're seeing valuations of certain companies that you're just like through the roof. Um, you're seeing freight tech companies pop up left and right, left and right. This typically happens when freight is at the forefront. This kind of happens in cycles where, you know, freight is the talk of everyone, um, like every three or so years when, you know, volumes just kind of go through the roof and then it kind of eases and then we'll see a freight recession, which we saw not too long ago, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so is this still going to like, are we going to start to see freight tech companies or freight valuations kind of start to really drop after we see some kind of alleviation here? Um, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I think as long as this demand remains where it is um, and we're going into, I think you can relate to this one, Anthony, is that this is an economic development. This isn't just a freight development. This isn't a transportation development era. We're in, we are in an, an era, a post-pandemic era where not just, you know, the transportation sector got disrupted or supply yeah. chains got disrupted. It is literally every, a global disruption of economic activity and all these things are moving parts. And as painful as it may have been for several people and still is for a lot, uh, these types of disruptions have long-term impacts to economic development. Mm -hmm. The economic development cycle looks to be like it's going to be a long-run one. Ver you know, like when I talked about it recently, like the PC in the 90s, strong economic development, the advent of the internet and all these tech companies pushed the economy, the global economy forward. And in, in between all that, we had all this activity and action. People made more money. They bought more stuff et cetera, et cetera. The iPhone then came, uh, you know, all this stuff kind of pushes us as a society forward. And we're in that, we're in a section where we're having to recover and move forward. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's going to be a minute before we see any of this drop off in investment, specifically in freight, uh, because it's go it looks like it's going to be tough moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And one of the big things that I love is the innovation that comes out mm -hmm. from these periods. So when there is need for efficiencies, all these solutions kind of get brought up. Mm -hmm. Problems are getting solved that you didn't really realize were problems. Now, there's some things that are gonna to be too soon. So for example, right. uh, the Microsoft Zoom. I don't know if you were a fan <laughs> yeah. of that one, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a better solution <laughs> than the iPod at the time. I thought it was, yeah. you know, it was cooler. It had, but anyway, so I, I, I had a creative it. zen. 
it had a creative zen. Yeah. And so <laughs> that obviously didn't stand the test of time. Yeah. And it fell to the wayside, but there were, I think, attributes taken from it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing here is yep. there's going to be, a, like you said, a lot of investment for some time to come, a lot of innovation happening within the freight and transportation and supply chain overall for different solutions. Not everything's going to stand the test of time. A lot of it's going to get absorbed. You know, we're going to see mm -hmm. acquisitions, we're going to see mergers, we're going to see technologies kind of really morphing into other areas. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the big thing to come out of all this is finding those solutions for issues that we didn't really anticipate on having long-term. Right, exactly. So I actually have some memes this week that I'd love to dive into with you, Anthony Smith, because Absolutely. I picked them out with you in mind. Let's do some <laughs> memeonomics. All right, so the first meme of the day, uh, the red pig barbecue sign. <laughs> if you can breathe, you're hired. <laughs> so this is this speaks to your, uh, you know, it's Thursday, so it's unemployment day uh, in terms of jobless claim reports and whatnot. It is unemployment day after those last few reports. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, this is this is still an ongoing thing. And again, I know it's not freight, but if you can't hire servers, you're not going to hire truck drivers. <laughs> you know, this is this is an issue throughout manufacturing, trucking, everything. Yeah. You cannot match. People are wanting more money for doing the same job that cost, you know, 10% less just two years ago. Mm -hmm. The pandemic has changed this expectation. Inflation is real. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Just means that it's happening. And employment's still a problem right now. Uh, yeah. Second up meme. Now, this is one. These next two are related. They're basically the same thing. Um, you know what this means, right? <laughs> in terms of the debt ceiling uh, not being raised and the government shut down. We've got a spirit Halloween sign over yeah. the top of the Capitol building. I like that. <laughs> I, I mean, the, I love the spirit Halloween memes. It's like they show up in these abandoned, you know, they were in Toys R Us's that shut down yeah. just a few years ago. Uh, they take over these abandoned uh, retailers or wherever they are mm -hmm. and sell the, uh, the Halloween stuff. Do you think this is a thing? Like this debt ceiling issue, like is this... Is this something that we need to be concerned about? It's a thing, and we should be, I mean, I think we've kind of been here before, then it worked itself out, and, but there's so many other stories going on, and the other big thing is no one cares about big stories anymore. <laughs> like, people are just, the endurance is done, they're exhausted after going through COVID for over a year, just like big stories. It has to be huge in your face for it to have an impact, right. and so... When you're hearing about something like this, like, hey, the government might shut down, she's like, all right. <laughs> and, right. like, is it still there? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, we have a global pandemic that just doesn't seem to end. Like, we're jaded. Um, we're so jaded as a, yeah. as a society. Like, yeah. throw, throw some nasty stuff at us. Although, we're supposed to be more sensitive, right? No. No, we're not. Not happening. Okay. I, I thought that was kind of the news cycle. I mean, it's supposed to be, but We talked to with Gabrielle Boucher a few weeks ago, and mm -hmm. they're the talking about how the millennials and Gen Z's are, are soft. You know, Tom Brady the other day <laughs> talking about how the NFL's getting soft. And yet here we are, uh, government shutting down, no. whatever. Nah, not the, not the new story that people care about anymore. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, so the last meme, uh, same thing. Uh, just print more money, not like it's that hard. <laughs> A SpongeBob meme uh, for all the millennial viewers out there, for sure. Um, and <laughs> the, uh, you know, the idea is, you know, government has been printing money essentially. I mean, even though they're borrowing it technically, they've just effectively printed money. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the same thing. 
And um, the big thing is, I don't think a huge portion of it has even gone into use or circulation. Right. Like the infrastructure bill still it's a big deal at play. Yeah. There are other programs here that is really going to facilitate using a lot of that cash right. that hasn't even entered the market yet. And so when you're thinking about inflationary pressures and printing more money, that just kind of tells me we had Jerome Powell, head of the Federal Reserve, who's like the or chair of the Federal Reserve. He is like the chief economist for the United States of America, but he made an announcement that he's anticipating inflation to go into 2022. So not too much of a surprise. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, uh, I think the federal government is the last to know or to come to the realization of the impacts of some of these uh, practices. And so for sure, there's right. going to be some inflationary pressures. It's going to be here for some time. I think we've seen the peak already. Mm-hmm. It's likely going to continue to extend into 2022. Well into the mid-2022, I think we're going to see the effects of inflation continue to be persistent. Whether or not the consumer is going to react, that's a whole other thing. Right, right. Well, I guess time will tell. But, you know, I want to cover one story, one headline, and I want to push the rest of the headlines to the back of of Mary. But I want to lead with this because this is a big, it's it's kind of in line with what we're talking about. Um, You know, we normally do the newsonomics with a big section, et cetera, but I want to push this first because before we talk to Mary, because I think it somewhat will also add a little bit of context to to her situation as well. Well, she's just fresh out of it. Yeah. Uh, ArcBest announcing that they're buying uh, the Chicago-based truckload broker Molo, uh, you know, pending some approval, standard uh, approval processes and whatnot. And this, this, you know, and I want to get your thoughts on it here in just a second. This, this to me is kind of like the sign of the times. You know, you've got these traditional kind of truckload, you know, well, ArcVest, LTL as well. Uh, but they do have a huge brokerage, uh, you know, segment of their business model. Uh, and now they're adding to it. They're buying uh, Molo, uh, which it's, it's an interesting concept to me because Molo, much smaller in terms of overall shipper exposure. Uh, but they represent, you know, they effectively double the the size of this uh of ArcVest brokerages. And yeah. so it's it's like they're buying this market share, you know, but the, obviously they've made a lot of money. And that's what we're seeing is a lot of companies with a lot of cash and they've got to offload it. They can't go buy trucks. Obviously, ArcVest is interested in brokerage here, asset light. Um, and they've got to spend it somewhere or that government, you saw them, they're yeah, running out of money. They need it. They <laughs> so need the cash. take it from you. So uh, you got to go out, make these investments. And this is an interesting purchase to me because they have about, and I, I need to read down here. So uh, Molo has a shipper base of 500, uh, but they're expected uh, to have $600 million of generated revenue from just a 500 shipper base yeah. and a brokerage. Uh, and ArcVest currently serves 30,000 shippers. <laughs> just, I mean, the context of that is, is what's, it's, it's kind of like, wait a minute different scales. <laughs> so, I mean, and uh, obviously ArcVest has other business models that they're servicing those shippers with. I would assume, uh, you know, definitely read Todd Maiden's article on FreightWaves.com uh, to get some of the details of this. But, you know, it is, ArcVest basically is kind of a carrier side, mm-hmm. carrier-centric brokerage. Molo's kind of that traditional in-house asset light brokerage that pushes things the traditional way. And, and you know, with no ties to an asset. So yeah. I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Is ArcVest going to push more towards the asset light, 
you know, Echo Global, C.H. Robinson type model, or are they going to try to incorporate them into that asset-based brokerage model that we've seen that's a very interesting uh, play between those two companies? Yeah, I, I, I'm leaning more towards the latter on that one. Yeah. But I think, like you said, it's interesting, interesting to see all these moves happen because we just saw a really big one um, with Mike Boundesso last week. Um, the rails. Rails, <laughs> yeah. So... Um, but look, we we got to wait a decade before they get approved. Before it actually because, happens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so this one going to move a little bit faster, <laughs> hopefully for both parties. But looking at this, it's like you said, it's kind of two different magnitudes and yeah. buying market share. So for sure, access and uh, it's just like we hear about this happening almost every other week now, or almost every week now there is some large play or some significant move happening in the freight networks. And so I think you made a great point is. Made a lot of cash this year, got to use it somehow, and really finding a company that's, you know, solid, good quality, and that's, up and up. That's like, kind of the that's kind of what our economy's grown into, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like make money and spend it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, you know, it, a lot of the money that we make now isn't necessarily out of creating something, but more combining things or leveraging or yes or push like finding other ways to put them together to increase their value somehow but it's not necessarily in like i'm going to go make a thing mm-hmm. and i'm going to make that thing as you know in in mass and that thing that you don't have to be profitable yeah that's the crazy part yeah we are we are now at a at a place financially speaking in the united states where we don't have to make anything but yet we can grow our economy yeah <laughs> Which is insane. It doesn't have to be profitable. It doesn't yeah. have to actually make anything. Yeah. Um, you're looking at, does it have to have any assets? Right. <laughs> um, but it, the valuation will continue to keep going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. But there's always, there's got to be something at the bottom of that ladder. You always got to have, create some sort of value along yes. the line. Otherwise, you're just taking on debt. <laughs> yeah, you're taking on debt. Taking on or debt. Or maybe you kind of keep churn on it and then you, you get in, you get out. <laughs> Wash your hands, and it's the next guy's problem. Well, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to put any more debt on you or on this show, and I want to bring Mary O'Connell on <laughs> to uh, introduce herself and also just kind of give us some context because she's out in that, she's been out in the world just recently, in the real world as I call it, and yeah. I want to bring her on to give us, bring us back down to reality uh, here in a minute. So, Mary. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for coming on Freightonomics. You yourself are about to have some stuff coming up that I want you to talk about. But first, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself, where you're from, what you've been doing, and uh, yeah, shine some light on who Mary is. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show today, guys. I appreciate it. Um, like you mentioned, I recently came from the real the real world. <laughs> real world. Um, I... <laughs> I started, uh, like most people do, as uh, tracking and tracing for Anheuser-Busch, just check calls, ETAs, all that jazz. Um, and then I moved to Transplace, another 3PL, to uh, do some dispatching, some brokering, some other special projects as assigned. Um, and then I found myself in the LTL pricing and procurement world, um, both at Unison and Sunset Transportation. So I've uh, danced around a couple 3PLs here in St. Louis, and it's been really fun. Um, it's been nice going from all the way of, yes, you're truck is broken down for the third time this week to um more of the overall picture of pricing and procurement and everything like that like it's been it's been a pretty wild ride 
Oh, Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. And it is a wild ride. One of the great things I think from that wild ride is that you have experience from every single aspect or really all these different aspects within transportation. I need to know, and maybe just like one or two sentences or as many sentences as you need, <laughs> your current breakdown or the current uh, supply chain situation. Um, well, I mean, I can't say that I'm surprised. Um, my first year that I was uh, in transportation as I fall into it um, was when the uh, Teamsters were renegotiating their um, contract in California, Long Beach, I think. Um, it was the end of 2014. Um, so that was my first foray into things. Um, and as we kind of know, things kind of went up and down and crazy from there. Um, so that's all that I've known is a little bit of chaos in the uh, the market. So um, I just want to say it's probably pretty consistent with <laughs> what it's had. Um, I wish I had a better answer, but I just all I've known is the chaos that we have. So um, I would say that it's just pretty, pretty typical. But this year is definitely taking the cake so far as the most insane and um, the most uh, of people just going I don't know. Let's yeah. figure it out as we go. So let's let's set the table here a little bit. Like I, I mean, I think everybody knows that the last year has been a little crazy, but you were living it uh, just recently. What was the biggest like from beginning to end? What was like? Take us through like what happened that changed uh, some of the details of it too, because I really like the details of uh, you know everybody's day to day, how they changed specifically. What was? Let's start with the biggest one. What was the biggest change that you would say? You noticed from the pre-pandemic to the moment you, you know, kind of found yourself walking out the door. <laughs> um, so I would say probably just everyone, like you guys had already touched on earlier, everyone just kind of was like, oh, the supply chain, transportation, like we don't really need to pay attention to it. Um, and so we had um, customers that would take stuff out to bid because they were like, oh, we just want to. Um, get better pricing. We want to make sure that we're, you know, saving that bottom line. Um, and then pretty much once the pandemic hit, that all went out the window and everyone's like, just pick up this stuff no matter what. Like, we'll like, we just, we just get it here. We don't care about the cost. We don't care about who picks it up. We just want it picked up and we just want it out to the point where they were even, um, when there was such a shortage of full truckloads, they were um, just putting, literally separating shipments in half and just sending them all LTL. And I was like, you guys, you can't, that's not a good idea either because then you're getting, there were so many more capacity shipments this year. Um, so people were spending like thousands of dollars more just be, just in the capacity shipment charge just to get their freight out the door versus waiting a couple extra days and spending a fourth of that on a, yeah, and, on a truck. And capacity shipments, define those real quick for the audience. I, I love what you're saying, oh. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so capacity shipments are LTL shipments that exceed a certain volume or weight um, or cubic feet on a, a, a on a LTL shipment. So if you basically take up too much space, they're going to charge you for it. And if you don't go it through, uh, if you know you have a capacity shipment, you can get a free, you can get a quote, um, and then they'll honor that. But if you just say, oh, yeah, I'm going from... Virginia to Kansas, and uh, it's only three skids, but you're exceeding the weight, you're exceeding the dimensions, you're exceeding something else. 
um, you're probably going to get charged $5,000 versus like $200 it would normally be for a normal LTL shipment. Yes. And if you're talking about a half truckload, you're actually more than likely going to spend more than a truckload cost for that capacity shipment at times. Now, maybe not this last year as much, but that's, that's, that's kind of the, uh, I saw that back in the day in 2018, 2017, 2018, uh, where these shippers would chop up the freight <laughs> and push it through LTL. And I think it's fascinating to me because instead of going out to the spot market, you're trying to get guaranteed capacity. And that capacity rate, uh, like you just defined, is traditionally mm -hmm. as much as a truckload cost is once you hit a certain moment. And there's all sorts of ways that they obviously charge for this. Uh, but the cost of just knowing that you're going to get something picked up like the value of that at this point is just tremendous, right? <laughs> well, th that wasn't even the case all the time. People would pay because um, all the account managers would come to me when their stuff didn't get picked up because they're like, you know, the sales reps, can you get it picked up? And I just unfortunately just kind of had to laugh because I was like, they're picking up as fast as they can. Like just because you have the shipment that has to get out, like, I'm sorry, man, you can call the terminal and see if they can send a, a truck. But like, nobody's picking up freight anywhere. Like this is not a special problem for you. This is a problem for everyone. Um, so I just started telling them, you know, tell your customers, bake in a few extra days, um, say, Oh, you want this there in three, maybe order it on the, like on five days out, get that truck sorted there. So that way, if it didn't get picked up on time, if it didn't make the line haul, if it didn't make something else, you had those extra days kind of baked in as security days. So that way your customer wouldn't run out or product would still get there on time. I basically just was like, you got to start managing their expectations better um, because they're going to, freight's not going to get picked up on time. You're going to get charged twice as much for it. And they're going to toss on every single accessorial that they can to make money. See, and that's that's the that's the beauty of LTL, Anthony Smith, is that it's not like a truckload where it's like, oh, point A to point B, um, you know, here's your rate, you go, you either accept or decline it. Yeah. LTL, there's no accept decline traditionally. It is it is basically <laughs> like you you're gonna get this freight, and that's the way that shippers have been kind of accustomed to getting LTL is like they're gonna pick it up. The only reason they decline it is if you haven't packaged it correctly or it's not what you say it is. Or um, even if you do package it correctly yeah. or you don't package it correctly, they'll still take it. They will then just charge you another yes. charge on the back end to then <laughs> repackage it correctly for you. Are more <laughs> detail-oriented than the typical truckload uh, carrier has to be. So when these shippers <laughs> thought, hey, we're just going to push it through here, what Mary's saying is we can, you know, you're you're going to pay a lot more for this and it's not as simple as what you as the truckload space is. And I think that's... Well, wonderful context you just gave there. So um, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, your, what was your biggest pain point? What's the thing that you're not going to miss about sitting in that, in that 3PL space for the, for the next couple of months? Because we all know the next couple of months get a little bit crazier um, traditionally, especially depending on your commodity. But what are you not going to miss about these next couple of months? 
I am not going to miss a lot. So we had customers, most recently at my last 3PL, we had customers that ran the gamut of everything. We had um, food and grocery people. Um, we had sewing machines, vacuums, um, car parts, you name it, everything, all the way down to like retail holiday, delightful holiday stuff. Um, so I'm not going to miss at all having to go and hunt down shipments and contact warehouses um, because at the, at the holiday time in Q4, like it's all hands on deck. Like it's, if you have a spare minute to call a warehouse, find a missing shipment, you're doing it. Um, We had a customer that sold, uh, I think it was last year. We had exclusive like Christmas wine. I did not know that was a thing, but it was, and it was lost somewhere at a carrier's warehouse. So everyone was involved with it. Like it was all the way up to like our, one of our like senior vice presidents. And I was just like, okay, like this, this is fine. Everything's going well. So pretty much anytime someone had a free moment, they called um, to the point where I was on a first name basis with the terminal manager. And I was like, Hey, did you find that yet? Like, uh, can I just, can I drive up there and look in your warehouse for this? Um, And they were like, no, 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 we'll find it. We'll find it. Three days later, they ended up finding it. And um, then we had to then turn around and pay this truck driver to come pick it up from their warehouse and then drive it all the way there. And basically, it was a nightmare. And I am not going to miss that kind of thing at all, because that's just one of like the yeah. hundreds of examples that happen around this time of the year. And so, Mary, I think that story perfectly leads into a whole nother thing is talking about seasonality and what seasonality or peak season is even going to look like this year or in comparison to where it has been previously? Um, I think that if your season, if your peak season is in the next few months, just hold on tight for the wild ride. (laughs) Um, So I've worked in both uh, like where your peak season is right now um, in harvest season um, because I used to do agricultural dispatching, brokering, all that. So I've done the, your peak seasons now during harvest season. Um, and it's insane. And then you flip over into the traditional retail end of the year, end of the quarter, um, insanity that is peak season. And this year, I honestly, I, for one, do not know how it's going to go. I am a little concerned because there are so many disruptions, so many issues, so many problems everyone's having that I'm honestly surprised that stuff makes it to the shelves every day. So I would say that for this upcoming season, if you have a truck, get it, secure it as fast as you can, start managing those customer expectations um, and say like, look, you're going to have to, like things aren't going to get there in three days that would usually get there in two or three days. Like you're going to have to start booking things earlier, knowing that you're going to pay more for it, paying a premium for your expedited loads. If expedited loads are even an option, um, it's just, it's going to be wild. I'm not entirely sure how it's going to work out, but I just know you're going to, people are going to be paying a bunch. People are going to be fighting for trucks worse than they have been. And it's, it's just going to be insane in a whole new way. Yeah, I want to I want to bring up a chart here. It's a it's a sonar chart of our co- contract and spot rates versus our tender rejections. Uh, now I know you're 
you know, you're relatively new here. Uh, so I kind of want to, I kind of want to set the table for you a little bit here because you just talked about rates and spot rates and contract rates. And one of the things that we've seen and noticed here is that the, the time between negotiation of contract rates, which, you know, traditionally we consider long-term rates about on, on 12 month cycles, typically, uh, they can be more, they can be less, et cetera. And we've, we've heard and seen instances where this, these are re, the, basically the line between contract and spot has become a lot more blurred. Um, and you just walked out of a, a, a place. I mean, I know LTL is a little different, and these are truckload contract and uh, spot rates that we're looking at here. The green line there is the truck stop top 100 spot rate all in, including fuel. Uh, the blue line is the van contract rate per mile. Uh, not including fuel. So there is a little bit of a gap that you have to kind of imagine, you know, uh, probably around 40, 30 to 40 cents a mile that you got to add to that blue line there. Um, and both of them are trending higher <laughs> uh, here over the last bit. And they're trending, like obviously the spot market is a lot more volatile. So you have a lot more up and down and, you know, but the general trend line remains the same up and to the right. Contract rate follows that tender rejection rates coming down, sort of, but they're still, you have to think about it in terms of 20% or 22% of the overall, uh, you know, loads, you know, that shippers are requesting are being rejected. That's still not good enough to drop the rate. Like, that's not like better. Uh, so rejection rates have to come down to about 5%, 6% before we start to see things come back down. Now, my, my question to you, uh, Mary, is how do you think people are going to navigate the next couple of months if they are, you know, even if you're not a retail shipper, you're, in, you're impacted by retail shipping. How in this space do you think or have you, did you even see some of this uh, activity prior to your exit that made you think, okay, everybody's changing the way they negotiate prices and transportation costs do you think that there's going to be even more chaos in this space and rates are going to basically just blur into one giant market rate? Um, I optimistically want to say that they won't blur into one giant space, but um, I think it probably will end up doing it for a majority of it unless you get some people who are thinking a little bit ahead and um, kind of, because when I was on the way out, we I noticed there was a lot more of um, people managing, or instead of doing just straight contract rates, they were doing more project-based work. So they would basically say, I need you to guarantee me to have two trucks every day for the next six weeks. And what does that look like? So, um, and it was just kind of two trucks going to servicing certain areas. And so they would kind of say like, okay, for two weeks, we're going to go from um, Atlanta to Florida. And then for the two weeks after that, we're going to go from Atlanta to Michigan. And then they would just kind of change the areas each time um, to guarantee that they had the product and the trucks and the capacity and everything that they needed. So I would not be surprised if they, um, if some of the smarter people think ahead and kind of do something similar to that to ensure that they do have capacity, whether or not they are a retail shipper or not. Um, that would probably be my strongest recommendation is get those rates locked in, um, on a project basis. Um, but overall I would probably say that the spot market and all of those will just kind of blur into one giant rate for 
probably the next two, two, three months. I don't want that to happen because that's like, that's very expensive for a lot of people. And it's just a lot of chaos and isn't the best on the data side of things. Um, uh, but I would say that it is probably going to get a little wild. It's a nightmare for making a budget is what it is. No, it doesn't <laughs> sound like you can you know, <laughs> no, forecast any of this right now. It's a nightmare for making a budget. So, Mary, when you're looking at this, um, you just kind of outlined a really great example of something that you people are having to do to react to the times, to react to the chaos. When we're looking at these wild times, there's like a bunch of things that's happening to adjust us to what's going on. Is there anything that you see as, hey, this isn't really a trend. This isn't a, a short-term reaction. This is going to be how things are going to be done from here on out. Is there anything that you see like that in the markets right now that's going to be long-term? I don't know that there's anything right now in the overall markets that's probably going to see it. Um, I would say, uh, obviously, with the exception being like the USDA agriculture rates and um, the rates that happen during um, planting and harvest season, like those are always going to be there. That's probably not going to change much. It might affect overall capacity a little bit because you do have a decent amount of those owner operators that are also farmers um, that will go and get their own, uh, that will take weeks off to harvest their fields or plant their fields. But I don't see that affecting every that much overall. Um, I don't think that anything right now is going to be super permanent. I think everyone's just in a very reactive and, oh, we don't have any product on the shelf. We need to get it here. There's 70 boats waiting off the coast of um, Los Angeles to get loaded in. Um, like we just, I think it's just kind of very reactionary right now. Um, I don't know that I'll see. I think the spot market will still continue to stay high for a while, but I don't see it being anywhere near as crazy as it is now once we kind of get into the beginning of the year. I think everything's very reactionary at the moment. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I like what you're saying about kind of like, you know, everybody has to almost live in the moment right now uh, because they're prisoners of it. Like, why would you build infrastructure out over something that, you know, is going to change and move just about every day? You know, you, if you haven't finished the design for the vehicle you made, you don't start making the machinery, <laughs> you know, that that tools it all together. So I, 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 I think you're right to an extent there, but there's probably some permanent features uh, that you could put into place. Uh, and I don't know exactly what those are. <laughs> and I think that's really the, <laughs> the point is that we really don't know what things are going to remain consistent and what things are going to kind of fall away. Now, I want to put it back in the context. You talk about harvest season um, and you know what that is. Like, first of all, explain harvest season, what you're talking about, kind of a little bit more detail there. And two, how, do, how does a market like we're seeing an aggregate influence these harvest season and make them different than what you would see prior to the pandemic? So harvest season is typically um, when all of the, like when you're driving down the highway uh, in most of the Midwest, you'll see a bunch of corn. Um, if you're in the South, you'll probably see some cotton. If you're more up North, you'll see some soybeans planted on the side of the road. Um, that is, and then also a whole bunch of other produce throughout the country. Um, naturally at the end of the summer, all that produce and all that stuff that's been planted has to be harvested. So then anyone who's a owner operator has to, that also owns a farm, uh, takes off for about a month and a half to harvest, take care of the farm, get everything that they need and get all of their products to market to make sure that they are getting, um, 
they're able to sell their things. And then the other people, um, any other truck driver that like, so for example, when I shipped everything, when I worked in agriculture, we would have carriers that we only used during harvest season. And during the rest of the year, they would do whatever else, anything from shipping tires and bees to, um, then during the produce season, they'd haul watermelons, oranges, avocados, corn, seed, anything, you name it. Um, so that was something that we knew for those weeks, we had that extra capacity in the agriculture market, um, because produce had to get there. Like, things couldn't, people had to have fruit and vegetables. Um, they had to get delivered. They couldn't really have it go bad and not get delivered and consumed for people. Um, so we knew that we kind of could charge a little bit. Um, we didn't, we could charge a little bit less, um, than the current spot spot market rate because we had already had those negotiations and those deals and some of those built-in rates. Um, but that did overall impact the, um, capacity that was available um, in the spot market. So that would kind of cause the spot market to go up a little bit. Um, and I think it's basically, um, just kind of, you know, it's going to happen every year. You have the carriers that, you know, um, if you've been doing it a while, you know, that there are people who will go and do agriculture and harvest season and make sure that that is, and it really only lasts for a couple weeks in each market. It starts in the South and then goes up. Um, so I think we're getting to, towards the, the middle of it right now. I think we're uh, the South is kind of done-ish, maybe towards the tail end of it, um, depending on how rainy of a season they had, if they have a late harvest or not. I did not pay attention to that this year, um, but they. Uh, I think it's just kind of an overall impact because it takes those trucks out that would otherwise be there um, because they, you know, have the equipment for. Uh, agricultural and certain loads and everything like that. And so these all, <clears throat> I think the other big thing that you you really highlighted really well was when I asked about peak season, you also noted that there are different peak seasons. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the different peak season, different timings? Because when I first got into transportation, I really thought it was interesting, all the different peak seasons hitting at different times. So can you tell us a little bit more about those other seasons? Yeah, um, I actually have had a unique opportunity to work in a couple different industries that have had different peak seasons. Um, so, for example, when I did a lot of beer uh, the summer, like right before Memorial Day was the peak season. That's when you needed to have full trucks all the time. Things had to be there. Um, they basically like if those warehouses were not stocked or borderline overstocked of beer by the time Memorial Day hit, then that was bad. Like you had to keep them full all summer long. So the front half of the summer was considered like their peak season because, um, and then they kind of gear up again for the holidays, but um, pretty much between the end of December and then football, uh, football starting, that, that's kind of like a dead time for beer. So that is, um, so that's like one of their peak seasons is the beginning of the summer. Um, and then in the agricultural world, uh, you have planting season and then you have harvest season. So planting season is usually mm, February, like January to March. Um, so those are the times where you need to make sure the seeds there. You need to make sure the um, the people have the ability to like uh, the warehouses have ability to send and deliver the seed that they need for the farmers to then plant in the ground. And if that seed's not there before Easter, like it's not getting planted, it'll go to your competitor, it'll go to whatever. Um, so their peak season for planting is definitely there. And then you also have your harvest season, which is happening right now. 
Um, and then the more traditional uh, peak season for most everyone that no matter what industry you're in, it will affect you is the peak season then coming up um, around the holidays and the end of the year and um, all of the Q4 uh, peak season craziness. Yeah, traditionally, uh, I mean, it's traditionally everybody like kind of ag- like calls it peak season, but it's really retail peak season. It's where you, everybody goes out and Christmas shops and make sure everything. But I think there's a commonality between every season you just stated. <laughs> and it's the fact that all these shippers slash producers, farmers, whatever you want to call it, they have a window where they have to have product mm-hmm. available. And that, you know, whether it's for planning or selling or whatever it is, and that's what seasonality and freight is, is right there, is your window of having to have product available because that's when people like me are going to go out and buy beer. Yeah. Although that's a year-round thing, so it doesn't really work well there. But it's it's, yeah, but definitely, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't imagine that during Memorial Day, if you don't have beer during Memorial Day weekend, the official start or unofficial start of summer, uh, Anheuser Busch would be very happy about that because that's just lost revenue. Uh, that's lost revenue exactly. in their in their business. Like, if you if you go out and you look at the income statement, look at that transportation line item compared to the the opportunity cost and lost yeah. revenue, like it's nothing, it's minimal. So that's why you see these spot rates go higher because there's so much potential loss there uh, that happens. And I think that occurs in most uh, industries yeah. uh, at that. So uh, Mary, so something I, I kind of, you know, outside of the the seasonality of things, have you, did you find it harder to pick out seasonal uh, changes uh, after the pandemic versus before the pandemic, or is was you were you pretty much just busy all the time? Um, most recently, I would say I would say there's definitely a, you can definitely still pick out the season. So on the mm-hmm. pricing and procurement side, you know that there you're not going to run a bid during uh, the retail peak season. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to get the response that you want from people. Um, and not to mention everyone's on vacation with the holidays. Um, and then their rates are just always going to be higher because everyone's looking at their peak season rates. Um, so, you know, for example, not to do something then. Um, so that was more of a, on the pricing and procurement side, the, like the bid process was a little quieter during the peak season and that lent itself nicely for us to help everything out. But I would say after the pandemic hit, it was kind of just full, full steam ahead, pedal to the metal constantly. Um, you still have those seasons, but they're a lot harder to differentiate, especially now. Like before you look at the, if you looked at the spot market now, you would be like, there's a harvest season happening or, um, like things are getting ready to like pop off for the holidays. It's just kind of one of those where, um, now it's just, in my opinion, it's just pedal to the metal constantly stay busy. Um, and then because there's freight always has to move. And especially with such a shortage everyone has right now, um, it's just basically, get it as fast as you can get it going. Um, it's at this point in time, to me, it's kind of an all hands on deck, just get everything out, um, have people making phone calls, doing what they can to make sure that like freight gets delivered and your customer and your shipper has the product that they need, where they need it, when they need it. So Mary, I often kind of break out into these rants from time to time where (laughs) I just go 
kind of berserk on like, why is no one talking about this? Why is no one paying attention to this trend or this aspect? Are there any trends? Are there any aspects? Or is there anything within the industry right now that you're just like, why is no one talking about this? This might be a big problem down the line. Uh, if you would have asked me about three weeks ago, I would have come with a giant laundry list to be like, nobody's <laughs> talking about, nobody's talking about driver wait times. Nobody's talking about um, like road conditions and like truck stop conditions for the drivers. Um, nobody's appreciating the drivers that much. Nobody knows what they do. Nobody knows how overworked the warehouses are. However, in the last week or two, as people are going to the grocery store and not seeing things that they would normally see on the shelf and they go, Oh, it's just that labor shortage. Um, it's not, I mean, there is the labor shortage obviously, but, um, it's also everyone's like, no, that's more than that. So I think there has been a giant spotlight shown on the entire industry right now. And everyone is now having those conversations that they needed to have really six months ago. Um, and they're really kind of seeing like, Oh, oh no, things are actually bad and like things aren't great and uh, we need to actively work on it and make things better so that we have product on the shelves and people can go to the grocery store and buy everything that they need for the, to feed their families for the week. Um, so I think if you would have asked me three months ago, I would have been, or even three <laughs> weeks ago, I would have been up on that soapbox with you, like give me a mega, <laughs> mega phone. I'm going to shout it to anyone that will listen. Um, but now I think it's getting highlighted, which is great. It's long overdue. Um, but I do think that everyone does need to pay attention and think more and talk more to the drivers themselves. Um, cause I mean, they are out there hauling everything, making sure we have the products that we need, um, you know, driving 10 hours a day, um, so I think that we just really need to talk to the drivers, make sure their needs are being met. They're historically a little underappreciated. I mean, a Starbucks gift card and fuel <laughs> card goes Seems fairly far, but not as far anymore um, with especially over the last year, how much everyone has relied on them to then have um, to then kind of have them kind of stick, take a step back. Um, as other issues are coming on and everyone's blaming supply chains, like, we need to think about our drivers because they're always going to be the ones there. And um, without them, we would literally have nothing. Preach, preach. Just <laughs> putting the gospel out there. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, we sit here and we talk about the numbers and the facts and all these other details. And, you know, we do we do not talk about the driver situation enough for sure. Uh, their job is relatively a thankless one for the most part. We don't appreciate them enough. Amen They're to that. They're always the last to know with anything that goes down. Like I mean, there's a situation happening with the company, last to know. Um, always yeah. seems like the bottom of the totem pole. And that's one of the reasons I'm happy that they can switch mm -hmm. carriers or switch roles so easily. Yeah. Because it's needed on their end. It's like a, a the almost like the defense mechanism. Like, yeah, you should be able to jump out and switch hats at any given moment. Yeah, you always, I mean, it, the shippers out there that, that listen or watch, absolutely it matters when you're, your operation, your dock, all that kind of stuff. Working smoothly makes their day that much easier. And especially when you're talking about the hours of service, which is a totally different show. <laughs> <And> <laughs> talking about wait times and 
all that kind of stuff, which we don't have time to do today. Uh, but Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show. Maybe we'll have you on for that topic at, at some point in the future. <laughs> but you have some stuff upcoming that you should tell everyone about before you uh, before yeah. we sign off. Thanks again so much for having me. It's been a blast um, hanging out with you guys and getting all nerdy about trucking. <laughs> um, so we have recently launched the Check Call newsletter. Um, it's available on FreightWaves.com. You can subscribe. It's a, a newsletter specifically geared towards freight brokers and 3PLs. So um, we've got that coming out. I think we have the fourth issue comes out today. So I think we're going to do that. And then in the next couple of weeks, we will have a Check Call podcast coming out that will be uh, available on FreightWaves com as well. So just keep an eye out. But if you subscribe to the newsletter, you will have all the details you need for the podcast. And um, yeah, we're just really hopeful that you can come hang out with us in our little corner of the internet and uh, see what everyone's doing in the freight brokerage and 3PL world. Outstanding stuff. Thank you so much, Mary. And uh, we look forward to all the podcasts and the newsletters uh, as you turn them out. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been a blast. All right. I mean, it's so awesome refreshing. Addition. It's so refreshing to hear the, the the context of people, you know, out in the world getting different views. I mean, I, when she was talking about the LTL stuff in the beginning, I almost came out of my seat. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Talk you know, about it. That's. I need to put the Leonardo DiCaprio meme about, you know, the, he's sitting on the couch mm -hmm. and he's pointing at the TV. Like, that's what I was doing. With yeah. Her. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> an amazing thing. addition here at the Freightways team. Mary, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Yeah. And we look forward to that newsletter and have you on Freightways TV a lot more yeah. often. I so. mean, we got it. We got that content. Need it. <laughs> Need it. And also, we have some comments here in the Let's talk uh, on LinkedIn. So, big shout out to Nick Delick saying, great show, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, Ruth Nelson saying, hey, everyone, this is very informative. So, appreciate that. Jason Thomas. Big ups. He says, love the show. It's become a daily watch in his starting his day. So appreciate you, Jason. So <laughs> thank you all for tuning in. That's for awesome. Sure. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I talked about it earlier. I wanted to get to Mary. I wanted to throw that in there. Uh, but we need to talk about a couple of other news stories. Uh, I wanted to push Newsonomics to the back end today just because I was ready to go. And I know Mary was too. I didn't want to take up too much of her day. Uh, so there were a couple of news stories here outside of the ArcBest announcement for Molo, which is obviously huge news. And, you know, if I'm a carrier out there, that's good news because it means that the industry is healthy. <laughs> like yeah. People spending that money. Uh, that's what you want. So the the first, um, you know, I, I think Lorianne LaRocco was on the news uh, or on Freightways Now this morning talking about this. Uh, can you hear me? U.S. ports not 100% connected. Um, Basically, and the, and the two stories are are, based, are somewhat the same thing, mm -hmm. talking about similar issues about global supply chains and how, how inefficient we are around the ports specifically at this point. Um, you know, she writes, the, uh, the argument for an efficient transportation system is not new, but it's more than roads and bridges. Ports need to take priority. Uh, these locations are the points of origin processing more than 90% of the world's trade. And her point is simply technology has not been implemented. <laughs> you know, you, you have, you're complaining about no containers, you're complaining about no drivers, drainage capacity, et cetera. And for those that watch the, you know, certainly go back and watch the Freightways Now This Morning interview with her on it. But like we as a society, like you would think with all of our technological advancements, you know, I, I remember walking into a carrier years ago and thinking, 
oh, they're going to have all this integrated system. It's all going to flow seamlessly, et cetera. No, <laughs> it's not. We are so, our kids have access to better technology <laughs> through their video games and the iPads and whatever and all that stuff than our infrastructure does. Like it is way more connected, interact. Our kids, you know, the kids nowadays can get on a video game console and they're instantaneously, they can perform complex operations. <laughs> you on know, Call of Duty. On Call of Duty. <laughs> but we can't locate a container at, a, at the port of Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's, that's effectively what she's hammering down here. And it's to the point where in the second article that I, I want to highlight here, transport heads uh, issue open letters to uh, secure global supply chains. Uh, basically, this is the highest level people saying, look, we need some governmental support. We need some international government support, regulatory support to get this kicked down the road. Unfortunately, that's largely political. And we all know what that ends up doing. <laughs> yeah, and so I think this is this is interesting because we're going to need to see it in a very particular way. So usually we'll see implications from the government or from some kind of regulatory uh, entity or body that has nothing to do with transportation and makes some kind of policy that throws off a Everything bunch of stuff else. in transportation. And so I think really being able 85? to pinpoint, <laughs> yeah, I think being able to pinpoint mm-hmm. something in particularly, it's like, hey, presenting it in such a way to say, hey, this is what we need help on. This is what we need change in yeah. to facilitate. I think Specifics, that's, specific yeah. details. Like yeah. you never fix things from the top down. You have to fix them from the bottom up. So many unintended consequences, especially when entities don't operate in this, yeah. start messing with this. And when you start talking political and high level, you start to get a lot of noise in there and you start to have, like you said, unintended consequences. The AB5 one is like probably the most prominent in my head. Yeah. Uh, the California law uh, stating that, you know, drivers have to be, they can't be, they have to be a different industry to be a contracted uh, employee, which of course throws off the owner operator situation out there. You can't just contract with larger companies that do the same business as you. Um, and California, of course, the only state that's, <laughs> that's implementing this, this law or trying to implement this law, mm-hmm. it makes everything so much more inefficient and you're taking away people's choice. Owner operators know that they're not going to get certain benefits, but they're, you know, and this law and the way that this came about was not because of owner operators. Yeah. It was because of Draymond and working for, you know, company. And that, that is a situation that needs addressing, but mm-hmm. they're applying it too broadly and it's disrupting a lot of things and it's only going to make things worse. Yeah. As specifics. a lot of people are now, you know, California, I don't know if you heard about it in terms of like freight movement, but it's a pretty big uh, place mm-hmm. for origin freight. Los Angeles, Long Beach definitely has a lot of inbound stuff. Yeah, <laughs> rates dropping, but you make all your money getting out of there. Exactly. So, I, I mean, it, it, it's a big deal. And so these political situations do kind of touch a nerve with me when things get a little <laughs> too high level. But um, Zach, we got a debate. Let's have a debate. All right. So... <laughs> Straight from the production room, the control room, I should say. Um, this one coming from Isaiah. Is it better to be rich with no friends or poor with many friends? I think I know your answer. Uh, rich with no friends. Who yeah. needs people? Um, <laughs> friends are a liability. Yeah, I mean, they're like, only going to drag you down. If I care about you and I, you have a flat tire, I am <laughs> obligated to do something about it in the middle of the night. Because yeah, you know what? If I need you, I'll pay for you. Yeah. <laughs> you can make rich friends. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this You're one's welcome. from Tanner. <laughs> Best pizza chain. And he says, why is it Domino's? Uh, because their sauce improvement has been incredible. 
I'm going with... And the thin crust. The thin crust pulled me through college. Little Caesars. Undefeated. Papa John's and Pizza Hut Thank you so much for watching. (laughs) Anthony's wrong. Don't listen to that. Little Caesars is great. Cheap option. Watch us. Great cast. Download us. Download all our other podcasts. Have a great week. Yes, that also is.